We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Good morning, Grinders. Welcome to the DFS pregame show here on Roto Grinders. I'm Jordan Cooper, a.k.a. Blender at Blender HD. If you want to follow me on Twitter. And it's Monday, Monday, May 23rd. And you know what we do on Mondays? We bring in James McCool. It's Mondays with McCool. James McCool, the co-author with me on the Theory of Daily Fantasy Sports. It's a 15-hour audio DFS masterclass that you could pick up at theoryofdfs.com. And as always, we got the, the guys in the in the YouTube chat. Uh, Suki's not here in the... Oh, it's a Suki. It's, it's someone check on Suki. Suki didn't come early and he's not, not here or whatever. I don't know. Someone check on him. Doug Montgomery, real-life pitcher, Robin, Robin Spig, Spig, Tid, something something like that. Brian Taylor, good morning. Good morning. Hit that thumbs up button. Come on, hit that like button on your way in the door. Uh, as usual, hit the subscribe button. If you're new here, hit the notification bell to know when we go live. But on Monday, we just uh, we have we just have a chat. Chat see. If you want to type anything into the chat, we'll talk about anything you want. But James, uh busy, busy weekend for me. I had uh, MMA on on Saturday. Uh and then uh King of the Pitch final for Premier League yesterday. And uh, MMA, uh, you should know, James, how well I did. Uh, the, the the winning uh, large field lineup was duped 81 times. Yeah, we were talking about that in the Discord of like, if you played any like plus EV lineups, you basically were just shot that that tournament. Right, you just, you were done. You were done, that's it, right? I But I, I and I always say this, if I'm gonna lose on an MMA slate, I want to lose on those slates, right? Because I, I don't want to I don't want to lose where it's like first through fifth place are all solo unique lineups, and I just didn't have them, and then I still lose. I mean, sometimes there's a solo winner, and I still make money. I mean, like I like yeah, I didn't come in first, but I ended up still profiting on the day. But when it's an eighty-one way tie, like I I had the I I had the third nut lineup, but that's like eighty seventh place. Right, duped like think four times, but I'm saying when first place is 81 times, yeah. coming with the third best possible lineup doesn't give you much money, right? If if it's a solo first and like maybe a three way tie for second, right, second, third, fourth, and you come in fifth with a solo lineup, it's like oh, okay, that's you know that's like 2,500 or 3,000 or 5,000 something like that. That's fine, but uh, yeah, when when uh, the third best lineup gives you 87th place. Uh, it's not it's 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 not it's not going to be good. A 50k lineup one, a full salary 50k, pretty much you know, chalks and not not only three underdogs won, well four underdogs won. And they were uh, the highest on underdogs, right? Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, yes, they were the five. Yeah, yes, you're right. They were the four highest owned underdog. There was the main event dog, Vieira, one at 7,100. Then Medic, who was 31% owned, he won with 108. Then Chase Hooper was 35% owned. He had the highest score on the entire slate, 142. Yeah, or something like that. And Sam Hughes was 7,700. She had 120 or something, and she was 20% owned. She was one of the lower owned fighters, but like, like, and it doesn't matter that I had, you know, a ton of Hooper and a ton of Hughes. But, you know, Jalen Almeida was like 60% owned at 9,400 and put up like 113. Yeah. And my, the whole slate would have changed. Uh, this, is, this, is, this is why there's such high variance in MMA. Had uh, Parker Porter, Almeida's opponent, lasted 15 more seconds, or uh, Dusko Todorovic not get knocked out with 11 seconds left in the first round, uh, the whole slate could have changed, right? Extra 20 points. I mean, instead of 113 for Almeida, maybe he only gets 95 with the yeah. second round finish. Same for Chidi on Todorovic. Uh, both the, the winning lineup, in addition to having three high-owned underdogs, had the two, had the the two favorites that were 55% owned. Right. Also, I mean, so like, how do you not run into an 81-way dupe unless you're purposely creating that dupe? I, I just think that most people don't care enough about ownership stuff. I, I had somebody in- No, like, I can't, no, I, I love it. I love the fact that, I mean, there wouldn't be an edge if people didn't dupe that. Way. No, no, I, I agree with that. I just think that like for there to be 81-person dupes, uh, that's that just shows that there's massive edge in in caring about ownership. Somebody asked in the in the Discord, uh, they were showing a, a screenshot of somebody talking about their MMA projections. I think it was they might have been Jeff Collins, but um, he was like, "How can we build something out, up that looks like this?" Or like, "Is it too hard?" And I just you know I went into my spiel of like, the data is so bad for MMA that there's really no reason I think for me to even try to build projections. I think that I could build projections that are as good as anybody else's, but I don't think that they're that good and valuable in general anyway for, for MMA. Um, and I, I just think that ownership matters so, 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 so much more. Like I'd rather spend my time trying to figure out an ownership algorithm for it or aggregating ownership projections across the industry and figuring it out that way. And then just like building it up, like I have my PGA model because people just don't care enough about ownership and for there to be an 81 man dupe that takes first any given day in a tournament that size, it just shows that there's like, there's edge on that. Right. Well, the problem, the problem with the, with, with simulating MMA fights is you, it's a, it's a sample size problem. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I related to like, it, it's not the perfect analogy, but imagine, uh, trying to project MLB like James would you be able what would it look like if you projected MLB if you just took uh the past five games like that's the only data you have on all the players uh, so you have one start from a starting pitcher and you only have five games worth of of batting data like it's not but you don't have anything in the past you have nothing you have like you wouldn't know that Mookie Betts did anything like you have no idea Mike if Mike Trout went 0 for 4 0 for 4 1 for 5 with a double and like and that was his five game sample like you'd go why is he six thousand dollars he's only he's gone one he's gone two for two for 18 with three walks and a double and two singles and how would you project like how would you project that right and then you also have a you also have a guy in five games that out of one of the games he hit three home runs, or or has a home run in every single game. All right, all right, or have a all right has a home run in every single game. Yeah, it would uh, it would be pretty wonky, and like that's coming from somebody who has pretty wonky projections one way or another for MLB in short samples. So like a five game sample size would be like you're, you're going to get things like um, I don't know who was it. It was Kyle Bradish right? Who had a, a 33 fancy point outcome and every single other outcome is like six fancy points or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you only have that one game sample, you know, it's going to project like Max Scherzer. Uh, and, and even now, like even with my shorter stuff, it's still like, it's not projecting him well, but it's being optimistic and saying, maybe he can crack 10 fancy points this time. You know, he's cheap. Like maybe, maybe he's worth a shot. 
with a with a one game sample size, you'd be like, oh, why is this guy only sixty two hundred? He's projected for thirty six fantasy points in this spot. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, also imagine now take it take it to what MMA is. Imagine, okay, let me instead of giving you a five game sample size, I'm gonna I'm gonna allow you to do a twelve game sample size, mm-hmm. which is still ridiculously small in MLB. But now, in in instead of giving you the past twelve games, I'm gonna pick out uh, three games for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. So three games from this year, three games from last year, three games you for the and like obviously. In baseball, like, well, a starting pitcher from five years ago is much different than a starting pitcher. And, like, their talent changes, right? They get older or guys that are young get better. There's an like, or there's just, they're on different. Right. So, like, MMA sample sizes are like, okay, we have 12 fights on the guy, which is fair, a decent enough size for MMA. Sometimes we only have had two, three, uh, 12, and then it's like, oh well, his his takedown his takedown rate is this his, his punch rate like yeah, but like the first three fights of his career he like got like first round knockouts, mm-hmm. and then he hasn't had one for five years, so it's like and the, and and the first round knockouts were against like chumps against mm-hmm. no, no ones yeah against right? fighters or something like that right but then the past that three fight and then for the past nine fights he's only been fighting top five ranked guys, so a lot of times you go in and you try to project I mean strength of schedule i mean it's the same thing in mlb right like start did the past the past couple of games did the batter do well while well, he was facing great pitching right or the pitch oh the pitcher didn't do well well they were facing the dodgers or it was in Coors field like you get none of that context and a lot of times you know you take a look at the game logs for a fighter and you go wow in the past six fights he has five losses and you got five losses and his and his strike total is low no takedowns uh you know he's got KO'd twice and he but then you look at the opponents just the names and you go oh it was it was a title fight it was you know and you look and it's like like out of the five fights it's like four former champions mm-hmm. and like top three guys in the division like all time and now he's facing you know kind of like a guy outside of the top 15 just some dude just some dude. I mean, maybe not a bad, bad, you know, it, it's a gatekeeper fight, right? It's a young prospect and they're putting, okay, this guy against him and, and he's, and that, and the, the veteran is like a minus 230 favorite. But you look at the stats and you go, well, in the past four years, what the hell has he done? Like, how do you, pro- like, that's what I find the problem with the, the, the projections is that you, that even if you do regress it, like the samples are just so, they're so small and con- and con- have no context on it that for you for for people that that do simulations based on that, like I, I I can't see how you can make make an expected value determination just based on that, especially when if you if you back tested the betting lines, yeah. you get a higher correlation to outcomes, and then when you consider the fact that it's such a select few player pool type of format that duplication would end up being more of a factor on your expected value than the actual simulation of the fights yeah well and to to take that sample size part even further you have sample size of trash data like the significant strike data is just so bad and and the count data is so bad like you can you can it's not consistent i think i think it's better it may not be consistent it's four incredible. four years ago, strike uh, fight data may not be may not be counted the same way as currently. Right, and that's my point. Is like you don't have any consistency in the actual data that you would need to simulate simulate these outcomes. You have the outcomes, right? Like you know that this fighter had a first shot, had two first shot knockout out of five fights, two first shot knockouts. Uh, they got knocked out in the second round, and then they won by submission in the fourth round, and they lost TKO, whatever. Um, like you know the outcomes, but the actual like micro data of these fights is just so bad and inconsistent. And trying to take that, like I just don't feel comfortable 
one, I don't feel comfortable projecting PGA because of the sample size issue, right? Where you're like, oh yeah, this guy won on this course, you know, twice in his career. It's like he's had a 36 year career and both of those times were in the first five years of his career. And that, and it's like, okay, that's, that's fine. But, um, you know, the, the, the data for PGA is at least consistent and, and usable, but it's incredibly hard to find and it's incredibly hard to use because the sample sizes are so long. So like, I kind of feel the same way about MMA, but MMA is worse because the data is bad and you don't know what inconsistencies are hiding in it. So I, whenever somebody shows me that they have MMA projections, I'm like, okay, well, you're probably doing about as well as anybody else is doing, but I don't think very many people are doing super great at it one way or another. Like the, the, the accuracy might be fine, but the way of, of building precise is probably just way off. Well, also, you could have the best projections. And if you run into all, oh, I have all my lineups are duped 20 times, then it doesn't, doesn't matter how good your, it doesn't really matter how good your projections are any, at, anyway. You're done. You're done at that point. You're, you're negative EV. All your lineups are, are, are screwed. Yeah. Doesn't matter if the, what, what, I mean, to me, so that's why the duplication factor is so much more important. And Brian Taylor asks, uh, what would you consider a good sample for baseball hitters and pitchers for that matter? You would, you would have to agree that obviously uh, it, like as Cardi would say, it depends on the, the stat you're looking at. I and because, and, I think, right. both of those things. and pitchers have more events. So you, in a, for a batter, like every, to me, an event broken down into the micro is every pitch, mm -hmm. right? So like consider a pitch to be an event. So a batter on average may see five pitches per at bat, maybe on average, four pitches, four or five pitches per at bat. Yeah, they, might they, they may have four at bats per game. So maybe they see 16 to 20 pitches. Now it may be different pitchers, but they'll see 16 to 15 to 20 pitches somewhere around that. Now a pitcher pitching, a starting pitcher in a game may pitch 80 to 100 pitches. So they have like five times more, five to seven times more events for a given game. So for but, instance, but they only have one fifth of the games that a player will have over a week span. Right. But it depends to, to me, it depends on the, the metric like Cardi will Cardi will always say about like, he's very good at the pitching projections, mm -hmm. especially that uh, when, when do certain, you need to know when certain stats stabilize, mm -hmm. when certain stats are more predictive than others. So for instance, uh, for a pitcher, uh, velocity is stable in very small sample sizes because it's not the type of thing. It's like, if this pitcher is pitching at 94, 95 miles an hour, and then the next game he's pitching at 94 to 95 miles an hour, and the next game he's pitching at 94 to 95 miles an hour, yeah, it's only three starts, but that that's, you're not gonna, you're probably not gonna see the next game him pitching at 91. And you're probably not gonna see the next game him pitching at 98, right? You, you just, like that, that's just from a physics standpoint, probably unless he gets injured for some odd reason, probably not happening so within within two or three games like you have that but when it comes to uh uh something like uh, you know like like uh babip like babip could take a while i mean like if a, a hitter right a strain rate like a hitter that's gotten on you know gotten bases loaded opportunities and had line drives down the line caught by the third baseman like after three games of that, you can't just say like, oh yeah, well, his expected was like everything. Mm -hmm. But stuff like but like launch angle, like the stat cast stuff, takes much less sample size to stabilize because either the guy swings a certain way or he doesn't. It's not the type it past 10 games, his average, you know, launch angle on fly balls or whatever is X. Like the guy's trying to hit home runs. Yeah. So that that and then you have certain guys that like that don't hit the ball in the air that much because of the way they swing. They're, they're not power hitters and they hit more line drives. Like, do you need three years of sample size to, to, to determine that into your model? I assume not. Right, James? Um, it's hard. Like I said, I think that, that there's a lot that goes into what you want to accomplish. Cardi, I think would say that you need around two to three years 
to, to have that kind of data and have it be reliable on hitters. And I think that for the most part, I agree with him. If you are trying to project a long form out, like if you're trying to project a season, like the, the bad X has season long projections, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're trying to project out a season, I think that it's really important to be able to go back two, three years if you can. If you can't, you know, obviously you have rookies or you have guys who have only been in a year in the league for one year. Um, you have to do what you can do and you have to normalize some things, regress some things. And you have to take the data that you have and you have to manipulate it in a way that makes it so that you can project out long form and continue to build that sample. Um, but I, I don't think that that is necessarily the best way to go about projecting for short term either. Because I think you do have to take advantage of the ebbs and flows of what is going to happen over the longer sample. So I, I think that it goes both ways. I think pitchers certainly will um, stabilize a lot faster in the way that they are pitching and what they are trying to accomplish. You know, you'll you'll see guys where um, if a pitcher has a 10 plus percent walk rate, like that's always a red flag for me. And if a pitcher has that over like five games, you just kind of know that he's a wild pitcher. That, that's just going to happen. It, it's really hard to walk 10% or more batters um, like and get unlucky doing it. Unless you run into like Angel Hernandez five games in a row, that's probably just not going to happen, right? So um, things like that, you, you can kind of develop an idea of what an archetype of a pitcher is, or like you were talking about with a hitter. Like if, if he's a, a guy who's just selling out for home runs, like a, a Rugnetto door situation, right? We're like, he's a fly ball guy who's got to strike out 35% of the time. And like, that's just what he is. I don't know that his stats have stabilized yet, but I know who he is and like what he wants to do and how I would be projecting him forward. I don't think that the stats necessarily need to stabilize for me to project him forward a year. All I need to know is kind of like, okay, this is what he wants to do. Is he going to be getting lucky or unlucky in a certain sample? I don't know, but that's like what we're trying to figure out and, and play against in DFS. Mm -hmm. So uh, for me personally, when it comes to modeling for baseball, a lot of what I'm trying to do is catch ebbs and flows um, and put that against what we can expect hitters or pitchers to be able to do over a longer sample. So a lot of my stuff like, um, like Bieber yesterday, Bieber had like 10 strikeouts or something. Right. Um, but he was coming off of having a really, really bad stretch and he still looked bad in the game. It was against the Tigers. So he gets 10 strikeouts, whatever. But when you, when I want to look at, okay, this guy's going to be 80% owned and he's been bad. He's throwing 91 miles an hour when he used to throw 95. Um, if my models say that that guy is not necessarily looking good in any, in any way in this sample, I'm fine fading that. And if he ends up regressing back in a big way towards like what he used to be, I'm okay getting killed by that. But I, I want to try to ride the waves. That's, that's usually what I try to do for baseball. Right. I mean, me, I, I mean, I, I'm just trying to go against what people think. I mean, to, to me, I look for the high. I mean, truthfully, I look for the highest variant situations because those are the most beneficial in GBP. And I think Brian Taylor is trolling us a little bit, saying that he's looking more at batting average in ERA. I don't know I, if that's I, a troll I, or not, but those are not two stats I would look at it. Okay. So no, no, I, I, I think that, um, I think that you can look at batting average and ERA if you also are looking at other stuff that complements them. If you, if you want to say that a pitcher's ERA, if you want to know when a pitcher's ERA is going to stabilize, the, the very short form answer is it doesn't. Like a, a pitcher's ERA is going to change based on what they change in the offseason. And, and over one or two years, the, the thing that you should be using is XFIP. Um, I, if you're trolling, then whatever you got me, like you, you, you got me. Okay. Yeah, but what, what, but what, what is the, it, the issue with batting average in ERA is that they're way too results. They're both, heavy. Descriptive. they're both very, they're descriptive. very descriptive. Right. That's, that's, that's the point that yeah. I want. They're not predictive where an ERA, you know, just think, just, just think in just very common occurrences of, a pitcher go, goes out, gets crushed, right? Center fielder catches the ball at the wall. Right fielder jumps, gets, saves a home run. Uh, shortstop saves, you know, a base clearing, you know, the ground ball turns it into a double play. 
right? And you look and it's like, oh, six, six innings, no earn, no earn runs. It's like, well, do you think he's going to be able to get, he's getting, he's getting killed. He, he gave up nine hits and all stranded runners, right? So like his ERA is zero. Does that make him a good pitcher? No, he's but the ERA doesn't mean anything. And that and I'm t- talking about from an extreme standpoint. And then for hitters, I mean, dude, you could hit the ball very well and just hit it right at fielders. And it's like, okay, in the past, p- picture a very small sample size. Oh, the past week, he's batting zero. And it's like, well, this guy sucks. He's, he's gone 0 for 30. And then you go and it's like, oh, for 30, if, if, it, if a ball uh, a couple of times went a slightly different way, he'd be six for 30 with three home runs. And you go, okay, he's doing pretty well, right? So like, like that's what batting average will look at that. You need to look at the stats that take into account those other things. So that's why you said XFIP or even Sierra, right? Or yeah, even X, XWOBA. Right, expected weighted on base average, you know, stuff like that. I mean, obviously, all, all this stuff is incorporated to good projection models, mm-hmm. but that's the stuff that's weighted into projection models, not you know, you're, you're not comparing batting average in ERA. You're not run like are are they even inputs into into your model at all? I use batting average, but I use it because I am simulating um like I, I'm simulating at bats across a game. So like, I kind of have to see when people hit the ball, right? <laughs> like, but, but I'm using everything else. Like I'm using X slug, I'm using X ISO. Like I, I'm, I'm using the expected stats to decide what happens when a player hits the ball, right? So like I, I only use, and, and at this point I'm using true average and I'm using batting average. So even then I'm using a predictive version of batting average um, for, for my pitchers. But uh for the most part, like if you're building a static, like a baseline oriented um, uh, MLB model, you're never going to use batting average ever. Right. If you're simulating out batting at like at bats, then you kind of have to just so that you know when to then apply it to something else. But for the most part, yeah, you're not really using batting average. You should be using, um, if you care more about evaluating pitchers specifically for DFS, I think that if you're looking for season-long projections, I think that XFIP is the best thing to use when evaluating a pitcher. If you're looking for DFS, I think Sierra is the best thing for evaluating a pitcher, uh, simply because Sierra accounts for strikeout rate and XFIP doesn't. So Sierra, I think, is much more important for DFS. Um, if you're looking at hitters, uh, using things like XWOBA and um, XSlug, I, I think the XSlug percentage is, is the best thing that you can use for DFS. And, and I think that that's mostly a matter of opinion based on what you're looking for. But I think that XSlug does a really good job. Of, well, XSlug uh, would be very similar to XISO. Yeah, but, but XISO... Um, well, obviously that's isolated power, so it takes away all all the other, all the singles and stuff like that. Right, yeah, yeah. So I, that's why I like to use X-Slug. I, I think that um, X-Slug is a little bit more broad. But it, again, it's that's that's a matter of opinion between X-Slug and X-Slug. Right. It doesn't even really matter which one you use. Right, um, the, the, the similarities to like my MMA stuff is like inside the distance and round one. It's like one yeah. is the other thing. Like X-ISO is part of X-Slug, right? Just mm-hmm. like round one finishing odds are the same are part of the inside the distance because if you finish in round one you are finishing inside the right. distance and if you have a high x slug you probably have you definitely have a high x iso unless for some odd reason you're getting like an inordinate amount of singles right right yeah. so it's like and singles and doubles and stuff like and not as many home runs so like like that that's kind of the way it looks and robert robin in the the chat yes if you if you if you subscribe to a site that has a projection model if you're not building your own, you don't have to worry about any of this. This is all, as long as you trust the model, this is how models are made. You go, you, you subscribe to Roto Grinders, the bat or anything. This is, this is all taken care of for you. You don't, you don't have, you do not have to look at any of this individually. I, I don't, right? But obviously James on this show, like James, you do your own model. You do modeling. I don't, right? I know how the sausage is made. It's just that I don't want to come in early at 5.30 in the morning right? And make the sausage, right? I mean, like, I just want to, I, I want to be, I want to be the, the, the owner of the shop that comes in three o'clock 
and kind of says, okay, how did we do today? And collect the money from the, the register and and like you you make the you make the sausage and I'll just I'll eat the sausage. I'll eat and sell the sausage. I'll use the sausage. But uh it's it's also nice to know that the sausage is being made well because I do know, you know, probably 80% of the way there how the sausage is actually I, I know how the sausage is made, it's just the other 20% is is uh, can I can I do I have the software and skill to to actually do it myself? Then when you try doing it yourself, uh, you find that the numbers that other that that the sausage maker the sausage expert knows uh, is better anyway, right? Is or at least similar. Yeah, that's why you go to a butcher. They know how to make right. sausage really well. You like the sausage that they make. Why would you make your own sausage? You, you like their sausage. It doesn't. Evan wants to know: Do we have a vegetarian-friendly analogy for the sausage factor? Uh, you know how the zucchini is made? Zucchini? No, no, no. It's like uh, it's like a it's like a black bean burger, right? Like you you like the black bean burger that you got at the local vegetarian shop. Like you think that it's good. You don't exactly know the things that they're putting into it. You know that there's black beans. You know there's probably some corn in there. You know you, there's probably some celery, a little bit of carrots, but you don't know what emulsifier they use. But you don't care. It's good. You like it. You, you're not trying to recreate it. I don't try to, I mean, I'm not recreating anything. <laughs> well, no, and, and um, some people, it, it is worth saying that knowing what goes into the model is good um, because then if you do plan to go and look at other things, and you know, there's plenty of people in my community that, that go and do their own research. There's people in my community that build their own models um, and use them as complementary to mine. And them knowing kind of what goes into my model and me being very transparent in the way that I build out my models is important because then they're, they know that one, they're not double counting. Like say that I, I say that my model is heavily dependent on X slug, right? They know that they don't have to go look at the X slug of flares anymore. They just don't because it's already built in heavily into my model. Or they can go look at X slug if they want just for, for a sanity check or something like that. But going and looking at other stats, knowing uh, kind of how models are built and knowing that like, like, yeah, this model is definitely taking into account park factor. I don't have to go look at the park factors for this team, or this model is definitely taking into account that this pitcher has like a 16% walk rate against righties. I don't have to go look at that. That stuff is good. Um, but I do think that, it, that it's fine if you want to say, okay, well, me, for my process, um, I pay a lot more attention than other people do to uh, strikeout rate against lefties or whatever, some random stat. Uh, I don't think that it's a bad thing to then go look at that and then compare it to the model and say, okay, well, I still want to use this guy and use it as a tiebreaker or something, right? Like you're, you're, you cut it down to like four different pitchers and you have a single entry that you want to build out and you're like, okay, well, all these guys project about the same. They project between 18 and 20 fantasy points. I'm going to go find the guy who has the best strikeout rate against lefties and I'm going to use him. Um, I think that's fine as, as a tiebreaker thing, but the, the idea of going and, and buying your own, or buying a black bean burger from your favorite vegetarian restaurant is that uh, you can have the thing that you already know is good, and then you can get some fries on the side, or you can customize it however you want, but you know that the base product itself is good, and you like that black bean burger, or you like that sausage, so you don't need to know exactly how it's made, but it's good to, to have a good repertoire so that you can know what other things you can add on that aren't in there already. Also, it's useful to know and to under to con, at least conceptually to understand what stats are more varied, mm -hmm. right? What's, what stats have higher standard deviations? So for, in, for instance, that tiebreaker situation, right? Because we see a lot of times that you're going to look at a projection model. You're going to look at projections, whatever. That number that you see is the 50th percentile outcome, right? That's a fit. And, and in baseball, players aren't normally distributed. So like, just because someone has a median of eight doesn't mean they really ever get eight points or rarely they may get a lot of 14s and a lot of twos or a lot of threes, stuff like that. So what stats contribute to variance more? And use that as your tiebreaker. And if you're playing something like cash games, double ups, head to heads, maybe your tiebreaker is lower standard deviation, right? Because you don't need to have a million points. You just need to, you know, if you get the 50th, 50th to 50th, 5th percentile, 
of all your players, you're you're cashing. You're getting double your money or, you know, 50-50, whatever it is. Uh, and scoring any more points doesn't do you any good, right? Doesn't get you any more money. But if you're playing GPP, you probably want to play players that have a higher standard deviation. They're more likely to get you zero, but they're also more likely to get you 28. Those types of players. But just simply looking at the 50th percentile fantasy projections don't give you that. Rugnet Odor and uh and and lamont wade or i don't know i don't know, just making up some random player uh pavin smith or something have the same projection and it's like well rooted our door never gets seven and a half points it's like dude dude never get, dude he hits one home run and strikes out five times like it's one it's one of the two right maybe he gets a walk every once in a while uh so in gpp you're more likely to play an odor type a renfro type a gallo type than you are to play you know Michael Brantley, right? Someone that's like, okay, he gets on base a lot, right? He gets singles, but he only have like probably six, seven home runs on the year, right? He's a bet. His projection is eight, and and uh, Hunter Renfro's projection is eight. It's like, well, Brantley gets actually gets seven to nine points a lot of the time. Renfro doesn't, right? Renfro zero or fourteen or sixteen. He hits a home run or he doesn't hit a home run. So like that, you you wouldn't know that from just simply looking at meaning projections. But where do those stats come from? Typically, the the higher variance batters are ones that have high power, high strikeouts, right? And the and the pitchers, same thing. High Ks, high walk, like high Ks, high walks, high Ks, high ERA. Like if you if you want to take a shot on upside, I think it's more likely you take a shot on on Vince, Vince Velasquez and Tariq Skubal and uh, Brad Singer, right? Brad, whatever, whatever, you know, like guys like that, guys, younger guys that have a little bit of control problems, Luis Castillo in the past, like those types of guys are the ones that, you know, in GPPs, like, because, but they're going to be higher variant, but like Kyle Hendricks and Zach Greinke and those types of guys, Right. Jordan Montgomery doesn't strike out that many people like most likely if his projection is meeting projection is 14. He's more likely to hit 14 than than uh, than Vince Velasquez, who could hit 28 or he could walk six guys, give up eight runs. I mean, like Robbie Ray in the past. Right. Those types of pitchers. It's funny that you keep saying Vince Velasquez because I was going to say right when you were leading into pitchers, I was like, yeah, Vince Velasquez, the prototypical GPP play. Right. He just is. Like he's going to get you 30 or negative 10. <laughs> That's it. Like his projection is going to be like 12 fantasy points because he will literally fully tail that out to whatever extreme outcome it's going to be. He will never get you 12 fantasy points, but he might get you 30. Right. But unlike Zach Greinke, who almost almost will never get you 30. No, but he might get 11. Right. He, no, he might often get 11. Yeah. But that's about all he gets, right. And like, Zach, playing guys like, in GPPs especially, playing guys like Greinke and Hendricks and, the, and, and, and Wade Miley and those types of guys, mm-hmm. it's like, you're, 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 to me, you're almost playing with, I almost prefer to play the other, I mean, to me, you're playing with fire because if he, if the guys give up two or three runs, you're dead. Yeah. But, uh, but Wade Miley had 33 fantasy points the other day, Jordan. So I think that we can consider him a good GPP player. Uh, oh, okay. Because of what outcome? Oh, great. Yeah, yeah, he was 4k. He was right. 4, he eight he X. Right. But Corbin Burns, on the other hand, see if Corbin Burns comes out and in the first two innings gives up four runs, he could still end with 25 fantasy points. Yeah. Yeah. Right. He could still strike out 12 and, and it'll be perfectly fine. Zach Greinke gives up two runs in the first inning. It's like, now I'm battling for maybe, he, maybe he won't even get 10. Yeah. Right. Cause it's like, well, even if he just blanks the, the next five innings, he may only have one strikeout. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I'm sitting there with like eight and a half points. It's like, well, that sucks. Yeah. I it's, I want to build, so I, I do have um, pitcher range of outcomes in, in my models. So like you can see how often a pitcher is going to score like, I don't know, uh, right up yesterday. Brian Taylor brings up another quintessential guy like this, Patrick Corbin. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
Patch Corbin. He's going to get you 14 fantasy points. That's that's what he's going to do now. Uh, so yesterday I had like Logan Gilbert. I had him with a 5% chance to get blown up, a 10% chance to score 10 to 15, a 23% chance to score 20 to 25, and a 13% chance to score 30 plus. Like I have that for pitchers, which is really cool. I want to build it for hitters though, because like the pitchers, their, their distribution is pretty normal. I like most of the time you're, you're not going to see something that is like super wacky. Sometimes you will with a Vince Velasquez type, but I want to do it for hitters so that when I see a hitter projection that is like uh, Rowdy Telez, right? Like Rowdy Telez right now lighting the league on fire, but in the past he has been a very, he's going to hit a home run or he's going to strike out four times. And I want to be able to model that so you can see that dip because like maybe the projection is sitting there at 12 fantasy points, but it's much more likely that we're seeing, you know, barbells, that barbell. Yeah. You're seeing that M shape. Um, I want to be able to model that out. I just haven't had the time to build it out, but I, I think that stuff that's really valuable. Most people don't, most people don't consider that kind of stuff. And that's a good point to bring up. Right. I, I can bring this up on Google images, like that barbell type of distribution. So here, like a barbell look, kind of looks like this. A lot of stuff at the bottom, a lot of stuff at the top, and not that much in between. But here's, here's like a bimodal barbell distribution curve, right? Not that much at the bottom, but a lot, you know, like, like kind of like two big humps, bimodal. I think hitters look more like this. MMA fighters look like that. Golfers look like that. More normally distributed as a bas basketball players are much more normally distributed. Yeah. Because there's no reason why there would be two humps. Yeah. Yeah. Usually when I model out, I have uh, for NBA, I do have the, the range of outcomes modeled out so you can actually see their distributions. Most of the time it's, um, it's, it's mostly normal, but like there are some guys that will have like that really long top tail mm -hmm. guys that have like, uh, like Trey young, Trey young is, is gonna, his median is going to be, you know, we're, we're going to see a median of like, I don't know, 45 to 50 here. And then there's a possibility to get super hot and like ends up with 80 fantasy points because he scored 50 real life points with like 13, three pointers. Right. Um, that, that kind of stuff. I, I want to build out more of that stuff because I think it's useful and it, it, it kind of sucks because like you and I say, oh yeah, this kind of stuff is useful. But then I know the majority of people who are going to sub and like the majority of people looking for things, like they'll look at that. They'll be like, oh, well, that's cool. But what's the media? And I'm like, care more about the more important things, please. Like I'm right. trying to tell you and show you the more important things to focus on. And it's, it just, it's hard to get through to some people, you know? Right. The median isn't the be all end all. It's a, an entire range of outcomes. And that's why getting back to the, the, the beginning of the discussion about MMA projections is that like, I take a look at them and I just laugh. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that they're, they're, they're wrong, but when everyone, when you have the top fighter, like if I take a look at uh, you know, my MMA sheet from, uh, from this past week, like our projections, our RG projections had like Almeida 83, Holm 77, Park 66. It's like, none of these are actual outcomes. Like none of like, Elise Reed 64. I mean like Urus Medic 52. Like in no world is Urus Medic who's not, who's not fought more than six minutes of cage time and has either been knocked out in the first round or gotten knockouts in the first round. Does he ever score 52 points? Like there's, he doesn't score 52. He's going to score on single digit or triple digit. It's going to be one of the two. Now, the middle of all of that is 52, but 52, an actual score of 52 represents a high volume losing decision or a low volume winning decision. And based on his standard deviation, uh, that's those are very unlike those are not common outcomes from him but 50 you'd look at 52 and go well do i want to play medic at 52 or uh uh santiago ponzinibbio has a uh has a projection of 49 right and you go oh well medic is better it's like well no ponzinibbio's range of outcomes is much more normal 
Ponzinibbio is not a knockout artist. He's actually a high volume striker. Not much, not much wrestling. Goes to decision. You can see here with the betting odds. 415 inside the distance. His opponent is 300 inside the distance. This is a fight that's most likely going to last three rounds. Ponzinibbio puts up 49 actual points a lot of the time in a losing decision, right? That's, that's going to be his score in a losing decision pretty much, around 50. And if he wins the decision, it'll be 80. Is he, he's rarely going to put up 120. He's rarely going to put up 10. He's rarely going to get knocked out in the first round. So he's much more likely to score 49 points than Medich to score 52, right? You're going to see most of the time, you're going to see Ponzinibbio outscore Medich, even though the projection for the medians are 49 and 52. Yet, if you looked at the actual range of outcomes, Ponzinibbio outscores Medich most often because Ponzinibbio wins or at least goes to decision often enough. Medich, like based on these odds, like 50% of the time doesn't make it to the second round, doesn't even make it, doesn't make it to the third round and either wins or loses. And when he loses 60% of the time in the second round, he has 14 points. Like he has, he has nothing. So like, if you just looked at the outcomes, so that's why like, like in MMA, like these projections, the inside the distance lines are like kind of you use as the standard deviation of these types of fighters. So you look and you go, uh, you, you look at some of these, these fighters, like Alan Amadoski, median projection is 45. Like the dude, this dude ain't going three rounds. Like this, this is, his inside the distance is plus 315 and his opponent's inside the distance is minus 105. So this fight is like minus, 66% of the time doesn't make it, you know, it doesn't go the distance. When the hell does he score 45 points? Right, 45 points is 15 points around in a losing decision. Like, dude, that ain't this dude, this ain't happening that often, right? He's gonna this guy is gonna score 10 points or he's gonna score 110 points. Just so happens that 45 happens to be in the middle. So, like, this is the main reason why, like, you have to think in this mindset when it comes to any sport. Like we said before, with the Odor Renfro types versus like what did what does their distribution look like? In basketball, you don't have to do it that much because the district, it's less event-driven. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as hitting a 22-pointer in basketball, right? There's no, there's no home runs or touchdowns or knockouts or, or hole-in-ones and stuff like that. Or obviously in golf, you have missed cuts. Right? That's why you see every golfer has a bimodal distribution because you have – and sometimes their lower hump is bigger than their – then their top hump. like depending on how good the golfer is their humps will be one or the other a good mm-hmm. golfer will have a little hump in the low range and a big hump in the high range because that's all the cuts that he made right so he's able to get up over here and then bad golfers to have the opposite you mm-hmm. see a couple of high-end outcomes but you also see a ton of missed cuts where he only has 23 points because didn't 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 make it to saturday right that type of thing but this is thinking in the term, this is thinking just like we teach in the course, right? How to think like a professional DFS player, thinking in terms of a range of outcomes and not of a single outcome or a most probable outcome. Because we could say that, that people look at this, like they look at, I'll look at projections right now, Bryce Harper, 10.87 and go, that's what we talk about when you said these aren't predictions, they're projections. This is the middle of a range of outcomes, not a prediction. So this, all this says is uh, half the time uh, Bryce Harper scores over 10.87 points and half the time he scores under 10.87 points. That's all that's saying. What is he going to do today? Who the hell knows? Aaron Judge, 12.31. So think of Bryce Harper's distribution and Aaron Judge's distribution is like, you see that little distance of me moving like that? That's the difference. Yet you'd look at that and go, well, I got to play Aaron Judge at three times more ownership. Like that's how different the range of outcomes overlap so slowly to each other. We just did it, uh, showed you visually of all these ranges of outcomes. And I just gave, here's 20 hitters, the 20 top raw projected hitters. And I showed you on a page. You'd have to probably get close to the page to know that some of them are slightly off from each other. Like you can see, like it's a slight... It's slight diagonally, but you look through all these, you could draw a line 
through almost the middle of the, the, the first guy's range of outcomes and hit like the 45th percentile of the bottom range of outcomes, bottom guy's range of outcomes. And the bottom guy is going to be 4% on and the top guy is going to be 34% on, right? Isn't that what we're talking about when it comes to thinking in terms of a range of outcomes and not just what a specific outcome, a single outcome or a, uh, a, a middle outcome? Yeah, it's just also important to remember that when the much higher owned player gets there and your player doesn't, that you should berate yourself and that you should tell yourself that you uh, chose the wrong one. It's important to remember that you're always wrong. Okay. I think we had a good good lesson good lesson today. We, we actually talked about important things in terms of DFS. We didn't fix- Well, we normally talk about important things. But in terms of DFS, I mean, last week we literally solved baseball. We literally solved it. So this week we we took it back and 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 solved DFS instead. Ah, and Diego said I got unlucky with soccer. Yeah, yes, yesterday I I my my strategy in King of the Pitch. I I played a high. I I talked about it on the Roto Wire podcast. Uh, that in a two hundred person contest, like I I play those types of contests for low scoring slates. For the chalk to fail so like there were basically four or five high total teams it's the last day of the season so there's 10 games so it's not like a normal soccer slate when it's like three or four so and then no, half the teams have nothing to play for and a lot of people go well they have nothing to play for and they're not going to do anything it's like no no one wants to play defense when there's nothing to play for so a lot of times on the last day of the season the teams that are already relegated and have nothing to play for playing against the superior side, just lay down and just go, do we really care that much? So like, it's easy to score four, five, six goals in a game against a team that really does not want to play, does not care about playing defense. So playing, there were like five high total teams, four or five, and everyone was going to be on like three of them. Like I said, essentially uh, Liverpool, Man City and, and Tottenham. Because they all had something to play for. Arsenal had something to play for and Chelsea didn't. So like, but they were high total also playing against, you know, Everton, you know, they were playing against all bad teams. All, all of them were playing against like bad teams that didn't have anything to play for. Uh, so I just decided it's like, I'm just going to play Arsenal and Chelsea, right? And and the two highest owned players, uh, I don't want to play anyone correlated to them. So I'd like, if they got the assist, I don't, that, I don't want the goal score. So it's like, if Kevin De Bruyne on Man City is going to be the highest owned player, I don't want to play any other Man City players because if they score a goal, it may have easily came from Kevin De Bruyne. So I just played I just played Arsenal, Chelsea, I just whatever. Uh all my except for one 35% owned defender, all my players were single digit owned. Mm -hmm. I saw that. Which which is which is which is great. And they're and I'm it's not like I'm playing bad teams. I'm playing two of the highest scoring teams. Uh and flipping the and playing the 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 defender for Liverpool who takes half their set pieces is like the highest one the highest owned player on the slate. And in the king of the pitch, he was I think 70 percent owned or something. I played the op the, the opposing fullback, the other fullback who also takes set pieces, and he was like eight percent owned. Right, so it's like okay, so I'm playing like the opposite of everything, and all I need, especially in the last game of the season is my guys to get like two goals to a goal and assist. Like and if, if Arsenal score five, six goals, if Chelsea scores five, six goals, like I could have Havertz there, their forward at 6% owned with 40 points and no one else has. I mean, like that's the kind of the point. It's like, do I need 40 points out of all my players in that case? No, I don't. You know, if I have a three-pointer in my lineup, if I have a losing goalkeeper, I can still win this thing as long as these two teams do well. So like he's saying uh, in the in the chat, I, I purposely played, if I'm on Arsenal, I played their set-piece taker, their center forward, and their defender, and their set-piece taker is also their penalty taker. So it's like, okay, and then, you know, I'm prioritizing the, like, the penalty taker types because, you know, may get a penalty, and that's an easy goal. So of course Arsenal get a penalty, and their normal penalty taker is Lacazette. He wasn't in the game yet, uh, and their second is Saka. So I'm like, okay, great, I got a goal. I'm gonna, you know, I have an eighty-something percent chance at a goal here. 
Next thing you know, Gabriel Martinelli, their, their other winger, is taking the penalty. And I'm sitting there going, <laughs> MFR. Like, you got to be kidding me, right? I, per- like, I played this guy because of two reasons. And this one now, that's the guy I didn't play in my life. So, so the, the two highest scoring, the, the two of the three highest scoring Arsenal players, I didn't have in that line. Even though I played Arsenal, right? They had five, they had five players that scored double digits, right? Their top scorer and their second highest scorer, Odegaard, the midfield spot, I didn't have. I had their third and fourth. I had their third. I had the first, third, and fourth. Uh, fourth and fifth, but not the second and third. It wouldn't have mattered anyway. It would have been, if I played them instead, I would have came from 63rd and maybe came in like 28th or something. Something like that. Because uh, basically, uh, basically Chalk, Tottenham, Kane, Son, and and uh, yeah, and every, everything everything hit. Rafinha was popular for Leeds. He got a penalty. So I'm like, okay. A chalky weekend for you, man. Right. I still made money. I mean, I still, like my cash lineup and everything, like I still... Literally, I, I, I had a very good weekend in soccer, other than the fact that I only came in 63rd and king of the pitch, but I did well in the 555. I swept all my high stakes head to heads. I'm, I was fine, but it just, it's, it's, if you play, playing soccer, uh, DFS on a 10 game slate, like if that was all the time, soccer would be, as a DFS product, would be so much, so much better. Yeah. People would it'd be so much more useful to play, even even if we consistently had five, six, eight game slates like that. But the way that uh, that soccer, that uh, the leagues around the world uh, schedule their games more for television than they do for. Right. Like like NFL, like NFL picture the NFL, but picture the NFL if they could play on Saturday also. Right. And on Friday. So yeah. you'd have one game on Monday, you have Monday night football, you have Thursday night football, you had Friday night football, you'd have Saturday football, but it would be on three, di- you'd have three different games, right? Mm-hmm. You have the one o'clock game, the four o'clock game and the eight o'clock game. Then on Sunday, you'd, you may have four games going on at one o'clock and then three games going on at four and a Sunday night football game. Yeah. But that would be, that would be what like soccer is. Yeah. Where there's, there's like Saturday morning is kind of the point where like you know, four or four or five games could go on at the same time. But outside of that, like it's all spread out and the starting lineups only come out an hour before kickoff. Mm-hmm. So imagine, imagine playing a slate that is, uh, you know, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, two o'clock, four o'clock. And you don't get the, you don't get the four o'clock lineups until three o'clock. Jordan, this sounds rough. Yeah. Well, that's, that's why soccer DFS is not, that's what it's going to be like for the world cup. For the world cup, we may have uh, slates that start at five in the morning. That's that's actually not bad. I, I'm used to that from League of Legends. So um, I don't want to get up at I don't want to get up at four in the morning. Well, don't want to tell you. James, people could find your stuff, paterdfs.com. Yeah, paterdfs.com. Uh, you can find me there. Uh, I am building out a new um, new model for baseball that is going to be gonna be more of a, a static baseline model i'm trying to build these things out so that i'm uh offering something for free so this one won't be for subscriptions this one will be free it'll be done by the end of the week and you can run any game that you want and you can see what the distributions would be for the players so um, well, a nice a, little tool little yeah, new tools new tools so um keep a lookout for that and of course you can find me on twitter at patron underscore dfs uh programming note okay first off james no, no we don't have a show next week on monday Okay. Just uh, so you know that mm-hmm. I'm going to be gone for a week or so, right? I'm, I'm going to be back next Thursday. I'm going to Las Vegas. I'm going to watch a bunch of wrestling shows. Uh, someone would mention Jesse Atfield's going to be in say, the Vegas at the same time as me. Oh, fun. Will I be making any poker table donations? Well, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm hopefully not making donations. I'm hopefully making money at the poker table. Any GTO tips for casino games? Yeah. Don't play them. there's no such thing as game theory optimal on a negative expectation game here here here. no no no. i I have one i have one go to a blackjack table go to what go with whatever amount of money you are comfortable losing just play one hand whatever it is just walk away after that there you go that's that's your gto that's it well if you're going for entertainment i that the 
if you if you want to play to lose the least amount of money, what I would suggest, this is just me personally. If if you're going for entertainment and your main thing is entertainment and socialization, craps is the best game. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Go to craps table and all you should be doing, all putting the minimum bet on the pass line and the maximum allowed within that they allow as the odds bet behind it, which it has a zero EV, right? And that's it. So if it's a if it's a $5 minimum table with a five times odds, you'd be placing $5 on the pass line, $25 behind it. And that's it. That's 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 and all you that's all you do. Take your free drinks and get stoked with everyone else at the table for three hours. Right. And then go make, make bad decisions elsewhere. But yeah, I think right. it's like craps is the most exciting. You have the most amount of people, yeah. typically 10, 10 or so people throwing dice, typically rooting for the same things. Yeah. People can't mess up each other's outcomes. Like right. you get mad at the third chair for for sitting on trial. Right. You get to throw that. You get to throw the dice yeah. every round. You get to. You could make. You could actually make money as the thrower. You can. Yeah. I've, I, that's yeah. happened to me before. Yeah, I, I have. Uh, I have gotten tipped out like right. a thousand bucks for for throwing dice once. Yeah. No, he was. That's a lot. That guy was hilarious. He was. No, the, the 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 thing I the. The, from a from an etiquette, at least from a gambling etiquette perspective, uh, if anyone is going to throw me money as the as the roller, mm-hmm. I put as a bet. That's fair. Yeah, that's good etiquette. Even if it's a negative, even if it's a whatever whatever bet, typically it's whatever it's it's a part of a bet that the person is already making. Yeah, and, and right? that, that way you just... it feels weird to me to just talk. Oh, thanks, and I just put it in my stack, and it's like. Like no, you, you take it's it. It's part of the it. etiquette of like if someone's gonna give if someone's like oh here's five bucks if, you know you roll you roll three numbers in a row right you go through and people are you know blevel and then it's like like someone will say you know five five bucks for the for the shooter it's like like put the put the put it put it on the whatever whatever yeah, the, throw it throw it on something super high upside and just let it roll just, right, go just throw it. it on whatever whatever you want I didn't even ask like when I throw it on whatever you do whatever you're doing I'm doing just throw it on something let's let's all make money together right. Right, they're pressing the set, the hard six, and they're throwing on the hard fine, five dollars on the hard six. Yeah, right. Because it seems weird. I'll take the five and I'll put it on my odds bet. Like that seems like, like that's what you should be doing. But I mean, some craps up where you're at. Right. Sometime next month. Now, am I going to be playing craps in Vegas? No, because I've got I got poker there, so poker's fun. Craps is the type of on cruise ships typically. Yeah, yeah. Play craps because there's, there's no poker game going on and there's nothing else to do. So I'll go, I'll, I'll put five bucks down. I'll put, and then I'm put on, on cruise ships. They only allow double odds. Oh, right. So it's like, you put, you put 10 behind and then you just, then there you go. Give me the drinks. Yep. Everyone's there yelling or whatever. And most of them are going to lose most of their money. doesn't matter though. It's all for fun. Right. It's entertainment. Okay. So no show, there will be no show. This is the last show until next Thursday, next Thursday, the second. Okay. Cause I'm coming back late next Tuesday night. So I don't want to do a show Wednesday morning after coming home. And uh, and yeah, so we'll be back up and running MLB stuff. Fridays doing doing MMA stuff and Mondays as as usual with uh with James. And then Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, normal stuff, grinders live. I'm on, I'm off, I'm whatever. You'll still that may the, the slates coming up. Do we have early slates coming up? So Dean may be with you in the morning in my normal time slot. Just I won't be here. I'll be I'll be in Pacific time zone, which it's going to take it's going to take me a minute to get used to. I can I a lot of people swear by it, but of course I'm I'm I come from New York, so I just you know waking up. I like waking up late. I'm not a morning person, so it's kind of weird for me if I on the Pacific time to go. Oh, NFL starts at 10 a.m. It's like I don't I don't. That's too early. And then, then everything gets done, right? Because whenever I go to Las Vegas, when it comes to sports, it's like, oh, it's uh, it's nine o'clock, and it's like, oh, uh, uh, we're we're getting late night Sports Center on the TVs. Mm-hmm. It's like, you mean there's nothing else on? There's no there's there's no games on? There's no nothing going like, and like that's no, when you, that's when you go to the craps table. No, <laughs> everything's off. Everything is off. So hit that subscribe button if you're new here. Hit the notification bell to know when we go live. Got Grinders Live later today, right on this channel. Right, we got Dean and the guys going over today's, tonight's, 
MLB slate. Crunch time is free all season long, presented by FanDuel. So that comes on right after that. Got uh, on the Scores and Odds channel. You subscribe there. You get Grant's live lock show every Monday through Friday. And uh, and yeah, so uh, so I can't play DFS in Nevada. So it'll be I'll be DFS free for eight days. Not like there's much to do. Good thing there's no MMA card, right? There's no MMA card coming up. Yep. So yeah, it's perfectly time. Memorial Day, get to go. Go to Las Vegas, right? Devin's in the chat. Give it the thumbs ups on your way out the door. Yes, also the PGA show is at 7.45 tonight also. You've got tons of stuff going on. Subscribe to Roto Grinders. Hit the link in, this, in, uh, in the description. Get a premium Roto Grinders subscription. $10 off your first month. And I will see you next week. Uh, answering your DFS strategy questions, as I always do, on the DFS pregame show on rotogrinders.com.